to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah, and I am doing hosting duties alone today because we have another COVID Conversations. To refresh our listeners' uh, minds, memories, we have brought on past guests to come back and, and share a little bit of how they navigated these, uh, these days, this past year, this past year and some change. We brought them back to ask them questions about what that was like and what they're doing now, because many of them are doing something different. A lot of the conversations we've had have highlighted that some have remained in the same context, the same congregations, but what they do as pastors looks much different. But then there's been just as many guests that we're trying to bring back that have been on the, the show previously who are doing something completely different. And that might be the case for our two returning guests today. On the show, we have both Latia Frazier and Brent Neely. I'm going to briefly introduce each one of them, but before we do that, Latia, can you say what's up? Hey. Latia, remind me, do you remember, because I do remember, but I want to see if you remember, what were you doing when you were first on the show in season one? Yeah, still doing that. A lot of organizing with the Poor People's Campaign. Were you officially assigned a ministry in the Nazarene church at, at any location? No. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to answer to that. I'm not sure. I think you had some sort of unofficial, like you were kind of helping out with the local congregation, but you were doing some, some hospital chaplaincy things or you're about to start doing that. Yeah. So I'm still doing that too. I've been doing that for a while. And then you were helping with some parachurch organizations, if I remember correctly. Yes. But there's something very new that you've started, and we're going to get to that. But before we do, uh, Latia, you're wicked smart. You have a bunch of degrees and stuff, and you're currently on, you're trying to get something right now. You're in the DMEN program, right? Yes. I'm trying to get my doctorate. Hopefully, I'll have it by this time next year. So I have to refer to you as Dr. Twin. Yes, Dr. Twin. But you know... Maybe it's an inspiration for you to learn those big words. <laughs> so that, that brings me to the other guest. Uh, so both of both of my guests today, Brent and Latia, have given me much grief because I have not finished my my uh, my master's degree. I started and then I had a, a couple kids. So the other guest, Brent Neely, he uh, he's probably the one that initiated this joke. We all collectively met one another in this mentoring cohort. We were being mentored by uh, some some wise folk in our denomination and we met one another and at the time that we started this millennial pastor podcast brent i think you were over in maine right um yeah i think when you started it but i think when i was on the show i was in minnesota you were in minnesota mm -hmm. well i can't remember it's been a long time but you were a lead pastor in maine then you lived in minnesota where are you now what's going on yeah, so I'm currently back in Kansas City. Um, my wife and I moved down here just under two years ago. Um, just to, we're about to start school. Annie, my wife, and I are both in the Doctorate of Ministry program. Um, so we're continuing our, our education, continuing to learn big words. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's interesting because last time I was on the show, uh, I think I just briefly in a throwaway comment said that I thought the Church of the Nazarene should be an order within the Church of England. And here we are a couple years later, and 
I'm still making that argument. <laughs> so some things change and th- some things stay the same, right? Uh-huh. I feel like we should also address, I, I called Latia Dr. Twin. When, when I first met Latia, um, I don't know why we got on it. I think Latia was sharing something about people mispronouncing her name and then I was sharing the same sentiment. Um, and so we were asking each other how we spell our names and like half of the letters are the same. And so I made, I made that observation. I can't remember. Did I say it or did you say it? It's like, Oh, no, you said, you said it. And I give you a weird look. Like, all like, right. <laughs> I said something about how basically we're twins. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it was like that. Obviously, if you looked at us, we, we look almost as different as you can look from one another. So it was pretty offhanded and hilarious. And we just run with it because we th- think it's really, I mean, we find it funny, right? Like it's funny to us. I don't know if anyone else thinks it's funny, but I guess inside yes. jokes are that way. <laughs> so today I just want to have a conversation <laughs> with the two of you because so much has happened in the world around us. Uh, I'm not super worried about having conversations about masks or vaccines or anything, but it seems, and and I'd like to to know your thoughts on this. It seems that that there is much that is that is being discerned within church circles, that there is this kind of continued conversation about what needs to stay the same versus what has to change here and now. Have you guys experienced similar, similar, uh, I don't know, tension where you're at? Yeah, I realize I'm shaking my head, but nobody can see this because this is a uh, audio recording. Um, yeah, I mean, I would think so. I definitely think we're, we're seeing a lot of tension and a lot of conversations currently in, in several churches about what does discipleship look like when, for the most part, for the last year, a lot of us couldn't gather together physically. And so how does discipleship take place from a distance or, um, or for those people that have just kind of fallen out the past year and that are starting to come back now that churches are starting to reopen how, how do you regain that discipleship that was lost over a year? What about for you? Let's see. You feel that tension. You see that in the circle. So, so I see the tension, but I think for me, what the, this pandemic time has done is just highlight in, 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 in deeper ways, like the disparities that existed already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it actually is, been a fun time for me not the pandemic but a time to dream and think about what church could look like in a different way so um yes we've all had losses and and things like that in terms of the pandemic but i think it's a good time or it has been a good time to dream about new things so personally Latia, this past year i'm sure there's ups there's downs but Generally speaking, either just as as Latia or as pastor doctoral candidate Latia, uh, what in your life has has been able to sort of be normal, stay the same? What's changed, and is there is there good and bad in both of those? Yeah. So, as the pandemic kind of hit, I was in the midst of looking for a job. So, looking for a job in the midst of a pandemic, crazy, and yet. I was able to find one and part of that is what led to this new worshiping community that I am piloting. So. Which I'm going to ask you a lot more about. Uh, up until that point though, it's not as if, uh, 
<laughs> answer this however you want. Was it always smooth sailing trying to find jobs in, in the Nazarene denomination for you, even pre-pandemic? Yeah, so no, but I've always been one that charts my own course. Um, but as an African-American woman with a disability in a predominantly white denomination, it's a bit challenging. And yet I'm here or I'm still here, at least right now. So personally, I've shared with our listeners in the past, 2020 was one of the worst years I've ever lived through for just numerous reasons, not, not the least of which was losing my mother. But personally for you, has there been some really low lows or, or pretty high highs or has it been normal as, as far as just adulting goes for you? Yeah, I think I went through a season of really low lows and then I was like, okay, like we're going to be in this for a long time. At the beginning, we we're like, oh, it's going to be only a couple of months. But as the months dragged on, it was like, this is not, yeah. So had to refocus and had some good friends around me. Some go see a counselor. It's good. Therapy. I recommend it. What about you, Brent? I mean, 2020 is kind of a year that I, many seem to, to think we will always be looking back on as a year that this happened. Was there something like that for you, either personally or pastorally, that, that will mark the future for you? Yeah, I don't know. So 2020 was a weird year for me because in some ways I feel like I wasn't affected by the pandemic like others were. Um, I still went to work every day. Um, I work in a, a, a hospital, so that was still the same. I still saw my coworkers every day. I still, um, we were helping out at a smaller church. So for the most part, we were still able to meet um, up until, you know, probably eight months into the pandemic was when we stopped meeting in person, but my wife and I were still going um, just because we were on the leadership team. And so that part didn't change. It was interesting because, you know, the pandemic started probably eight months after my wife and I got married. So we're still, you know, still freshly married. Um, and I, I kind of felt sorry for Annie because for several months, you know, she was working from home and she wasn't going to the grocery store because, you know, I was already interacting with people, wasn't putting myself at any more risk or anything like that. So I was the one going to the stores. Um, so for her, there was about three, three and a half months where I was the only person she really saw. Um, so God bless her. If she's not a saint, she will be. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask her, I was going to say, we should ask her how that, how that was. <laughs> Right. So ask her if it was a good 2020 or not. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it was, I don't know. So there, there were some rough parts cause I'm, I'm uh, extroverted. I love being around people. Um, not too long ago, I got uh, lunch with a buddy of mine and he was like, can I hug you? And so he hugged me. And I mean, I almost cried cause that was the first hug other than my wife and my mother-in-law in over a year. Um, so there, there's been some difficult parts with not being able to be as interactive with, with people in the flesh and being embodied with them as I'd like to be. Um, but there's also been a, a lot of really cool stuff that has happened. Um, I had a dream that I just had been dreaming for a while and I'd said something briefly on Instagram and that kind of got the ball rolling into to what we'll talk about at some point on the show in a little bit um, about the, the community that, that I'm a part of now. So 2020 was both really good in some ways and really bad in some ways. Mm -hmm. 
So reflecting as I was mentally prepping for this conversation, looking back, I was trying to name or at least kind of come up with a phrase for what I would say would explain sort of what makes Brent Brent pastorally, what makes Latia Latia pastorally, like the things that are your strongest convictions. If someone were to just look at your Instagrams or your your Facebooks or your Twitters, like what is this person about? And for for it, you can tell me how how much I missed the mark, please. But this is this is what I took a stab at for for Brent. This this value, high, highly valuing kind of a high liturgy, right? Like a emphasis on on church history tradition. Um, and you know, on the podcast, we talked about clerical callers. We talked about icons. We talked about all these things. So, is that close? Am I am I dangerously close? Would you call it something else? I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty on brand. I would say, yeah. When I think of myself, I would think of myself as trying to be a historical and liturgical Christian. Yeah, historical and liturgical. And for Latia, taking a stab at it is just highly highly motivated and impassioned to not only engage and live out social justice, but to, to kind of educate people on it as well. Uh, you know, we, we talked on the podcast, I think Byron specifically said one day I want to grow up and be like Latia. Cause she had just shared some story about protesting in front of a Capitol building and being arrested and having to help the cop put handcuffs on because I think you were in a wheelchair or you had crutches <laughs> on. I can't even remember. Yeah. Okay. This has, I'm going to jump off base from the conversation for a minute, but I, wow. What a perfect example of loving your enemies, helping the cop that is arresting you, put the handcuffs on you. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, I just love you. <laughs> I was like, okay, come on. <laughs> so, so is that, is that brash, uh, you know, broad strokes, painting a pic is that close Latia? Would you say I'm on, I'm close. I would say that you're close. And I would also say like, that doing those acts of social justice are really uh, directly connected to how I live out my faith. And so, uh, yeah. Which is an important distinction because time and time again, you'll hear these, I would say silly arguments that social justice is not what the church should be doing. When in fact, particularly as Nazarenes, we would see social justice as the gospel lived out and in action. So, uh, but, but, so to clarify, social justice as the gospel embodied, is that, is that, yes. more, is that more accurate? Yes. So historical, liturgical, Christian, Brent, and social justice as the gospel. Okay, so I think we, we're, we're going to put the links in their past episodes. Please go and listen. Uh, but with that being said, I think both of those have an interesting, interesting uh, they're interestingly informative of what you're doing now. Uh, and just a re- refresher, we we try with some of these, we've only had two of them. We try to find interesting comparisons that also have some contrasting elements in them in these conversations when we bring people back, because all of the pastors that we have slated to come back are doing something. And oftentimes it's, there's something distinctly different from what they have done in the past. But I'm going to ask Latia to start. What is this new thing that you're doing now that maybe was born of the pandemic or born of just some of your convictions or because of the uniqueness of our situation has created an opportunity for you to lead something that's a little bit different. Yeah, so last summer with the uprisings, the racial uprisings and the political crazy atmosphere we were in on top of the pandemic, what I noticed was that 
Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. I was like, okay, on topics that should be very connected to our faith. And so I said, what would it look like to get people together and have those conversations and practice together how to read the scripture and then apply it in ways, right? So we're still holding the Bible to be uh, the thing that motivates our, our faith and motivates action. Um, just because like you said, Josiah, um, people like to do the either or, and I'm, and I'm suggesting that we do both and. And so uh, thinking about all the Zoom meetings that we've been on, and because I had spent uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, a group of friends from Connected to the Poor People's Campaign and then other, other connections got together from March to till about a couple months ago and we would pray Compline every night. And so, and we got to know each other really well. And many of us didn't know each other at first. So I said, okay, so a, a community can be formed in, on Zoom. And so then I began to have conversations with people just to take what I had in my head out and see if it like made sense. And so, Josiah, you were one of the people I had those conversations with, too. Thank you for involving me, by the way. So what what strikes me as interesting is what became kind of the the I don't know, substitute for what was better. So Zoom being this thing that people literally joke about. Gosh, I don't know if iTunes is going to flag us as explicit if I say this word, so forgive me. Like you've heard the phrase Zoom hell, right? Like that's mm -hmm. a thing that people talk about all the time now. Mm -hmm. This thing that we collectively hate, it's this necessary evil, became for you this unique opportunity, right? Yes. To gather folks together. So can you tell us the process that you went through and what this, this new endeavor actually looks like currently in practice and what you're hoping comes yeah. from it? So it is the Ubuntu community, which is an African word that means we are, I am because we are. Uh, just again, connecting that, like we are connected to one another. So our actions or the inactions that we do affect other people. And then I said, hey, I want to grab people from different parts of the country and let's have this conversation. And so as part of this residency program that I'm in, I'm paid to experiment. So I love it. Um, and so I asked on Facebook and social media and text because uh, I just wanted 12 people. I think to create that intentional community, you have to uh, have it small enough so people feel free to communicate and communicate deeply. And so then people said that they were interested we had interviews or interviews not interviews in terms of like you're going to be in the group or not but like conversations so that uh, we were at least sure that that those who were committing to this community also committed to having civil conversations um so that happened and then we launched our pilot group. So we are in the midst of our pilot group right now. 
on March 11th, and we meet twice a week. So on Tuesdays is a smaller group format uh, where we um, have come up with a communal rule of life and people have individual rules of life. And we uh, just check in with one another, read the scripture together and kind of how do we look at scripture in light of what is happening in the scripture and what is happening in our world and then apply it. The, th the Thursday meetings are, am I still here y'all? Yeah, I can still hear you. I just did something weird. Okay, uh, the Thursday meetings, uh, one of the questions that we asked on the survey that we originally sent out to people who were interested, were what are the topics that each person is struggling with or wanting to talk about? Because I was really clear that this community was not gonna be like one person or pastor centric, that we all have things to learn and things to teach. And so people signed up and we've talked about a broad variety of topics um, and each person would lead. But we have a community covenant that we start with and a, a prayer of peace that we pray each time and each of us have a box with a variety of items in it since we're not physically in the same space to create a similar space when we're together. I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would ask you to explain more because I thought it was so, I, I appreciated it so much was just the broadness of the scope of, of topics we do cover. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess the sense of there's like a mutual discipleship taking place because because of the intended diversity, everyone has their own kind of unique niche thing that they've either lived in or, or researched more. So can you share any of those? Is that, is that okay? Yeah. So uh, in terms of like, different topics are you asking? Yeah, the different topics mm -hmm. that, that have been covered, that kind of the broad spectrum of topics. So we've talked about um, the killing of black and brown people and how that's related to Jesus's death uh, and our fascination with death um, as a society, but it, that it didn't start just here and now, but it's like historically our fascination with death. We talked about what creation care looks like in practical ways. We've talked about disability theology. Um, we've talked about, what was it? Like capitalism and the wealth gap. Yeah. Police and we have- reform police reform and what that looks like and what like defund the police really means and how we can live that out uh, in Christian community and be like also supportive of police that it's not like a uh, either or but a both and. What was and so then aside from that I would say too when we're not meeting at our specific times we also have discord where we chat you know offline on a thing it it was so appealing to me because i just saw it you know if i would have tried to do this with just folk that i knew in person i could tell you like oh this person's gonna have beef with this topic this person's not gonna like this topic someone's gonna get mad about this thing but the the design was intentional you're gonna be in a group with a whole bunch of people and i can about guarantee you you're not going to see eye to eye on every little thing with these people. So what does it look like to, because of the, the gift that Zoom is, gather with people from across the country and have civil conversations 
about things. So that, that was my little for, for what it's worth. And Zoom became necessary, right? Like Zoom, Zoom is almost necessary for this new endeavor that you're, you're in. But what's so interesting about why I wanted Brent on the show is Zoom, Zoom is kind of the temporary substitute for what would traditionally have been what you're endeavoring to do. Uh, Brent, can you explain a little bit, not just what you're doing, but how you got here, why this is such an important thing for you as a pastor, why this is such a strong conviction for you to create your new ministry endeavor? Yeah. um, So essentially what I'm seeking to do is to create a monastic community within the church of the Nazarene or Wesleyanism um, at large, really. Um, And part of that comes from one, just, just personal um, vocational identity. I remember being in seminary, being in my room, um, just really feeling this draw to a monastic way of life, but also not really understanding how that would even be possible. Um, One as a, as a Protestant, two, as an evangelical Protestant, um, and I mean that term as it should be used, not the political term that evangelicals come to be. Um, but so just wrestling with this idea of like, you know, I f- I'm feeling this, this draw in this vocation, um, but also knowing that I'd want to be married one day. And I mean, I just remember praying to God, like, all right, God, I'm either going to get married soon or I'm going to be a monk and you're going to have to figure out how this is going to work because I don't know um and here we are six seven years later and I'm attempting to do both um and so part of it so that's where it starts you know five six seven years ago however many it was now and um just over those years looking more into it and finding out that there were monastic communities that are not uh a part of the the Roman Catholic Church or, or the Orthodox Church, um, but that monasticism existed within Anglicanism and Methodism and um, and even like non-denominationalism with community groups coming together in ways. And so I had posted um, on Instagram one night when I couldn't sleep and I had just said something like, what, when you can't fall asleep, you don't dream of creating a rule of life for a monastic community within the Church of the Nazarene? Um, and I had a few people reach out to me saying, I don't know if you're joking or not, but I would be interested. Um, and so conversations began with a few people and I just kind of slowly began, you know, just kind of dropping hints about what I was dreaming about here and there. And people had responded. So on the first Sunday of Advent this past year, November 29th, um, six of us formerly or for, former formally uh, gathered together on Zoom um, to essentially take simple vows with one another to enter into a sort of postulancy, um, kind of a, a training period of what this might look like to be a part of this new community that we want to be a part of. Um, and so in the dreaming process, the name, the community of St. Macrina the Younger um, was the name that was decided upon. Macrina was the elder sister of Basil the Great and Gregory the Great, um, or Gregory of Nyssa, one of the two, I always mix them up. Um, but Basil the Great would go on 
to write his own rule of life. And that rule of life still today is practiced by all Orthodox monks. So any monk within Russian Orthodoxy or Greek Orthodoxy or American Orthodoxy, like they all follow uh, Basil's rule. But he was influenced by Macrina, um, who was the first woman to ever found a monastic community um, along the, the river that she and her mother lived on. And um, her brother, Peter, would, would take over the uh, men's side that she had created. And so we really drew inspiration from her as one that was living this monastic life, doing this new thing, but also doing it in order to teach others and form others and, and bring others alongside. Um, and so really, I mean, I know Latia and I are going about things slightly different, but in this, I mean, we're, we're, we're really not in the same way. I mean, we're, we're doing very similar things. Um, you know, we have a, a rule of life that we crafted that's about 15, 16 pages, just kind of walking through who we are, what our purpose is, what our vows are, um, how we want to live, how we want to be shaped. And so very, very similar in that. And yeah, for the time being, we're all, um, everything is happening via Zoom and on the internet um, because we do recognize that we are a dispersed community. Um, the language that we used is we are spiritually cloistered, but physically dispersed um, so that we are trying to all live under the same rule. We're all trying to live under the same way of being. Um, not only so that we ourselves can be shaped and formed into this image of Christ that we're looking to form and shape ourselves into, but also so that our churches around us can be shaped in that way and our neighborhoods can be shaped that way. Um, and for, for our denomination to be shaped that way. I mean, I don't think we're shy in that the fact that we, we want to change the denomination, um, not in a negative way and not saying that, you know, you know, that we're going to try to, to change who we are at our core, but rather really we want to be an icon as to who the church of the Nazarene can be and how to faithfully live out their Christian calling. Um, you know, because I love the church of the Nazarene and we have some really good theology if we would just live it out. Um, yes. And so that, that, that's part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to be faithful Nazarenes together Um you know, and we, we really draw from, there's a verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6.16, um, where, you know, it's, it's God speaking and it says, thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient ways. That is where the good path lies, walk in it. Um, and so we've really taken on this idea of ask for the ancient ways, um, you know, and we do it by uh, once a week, we do gather together to pray Vespers. Um, we also have community meetings. You keep, at, you keep saying these big words, man. I didn't go to seminary. So what? I, in the, I, it's I'll, evening prayer. I'll go back. Yes. <laughs> uh, Vespers is merely evening prayers. Um, Compline is bedtime prayers. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we'll pray. We'll pray. I couldn't help prayer. it. I couldn't help it. We'll pray an evening prayer together um, every Tuesday is when we gather for that currently. And throughout the weeks, occasionally, we'll, we'll meet together as a community to talk about stuff and, and where we're heading and what we're dreaming and, and what we're doing. And, you know, we've not really been 
evangelical in our nature about like trying to get other people to join us. We're just kind of like, this is what we're going to do. If people are attracted to it, they're attracted to it. They can talk to us if they're feeling this monastic identity to, to live differently, to look differently, to, to act differently, to talk differently, all this stuff to, to contact us. So literally just yesterday there was, um, there was a person that reached out to us and she, I mean, she said she just cried reading our rule of life because she's like, I didn't know this was possible within the church of the Nazarene. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're really, we're all really drawn to this idea that like the way to go forward is going backwards, you know, and not backwards, just like 50 years when things weren't so great, but really going back to, to the early church to, to going back to a system that proved ways to make faithful disciples of Christ. Um, and so, yeah, so really, I mean, Latia, it's, it's very similar kind of to, to, to what you're doing where we're trying to create a community that's living a certain way together and we're keeping each other accountable to, to live that way as, as we recognize that, you know, no Christians in Ireland, we, we can't live Christianly by ourselves. From, yeah. from the outsider perspective, well, I'm not outside of Latia, so it's hard to say this, but I would take a stab at saying when you think of millennials, you don't immediately think, oh, they actually want all this stuff to be more religious, right? Um, so you're, you're creating a monastic order within a Protestant denomination, and most of our research discussion dialogue, even on this podcast, just having fun with it is millennials don't go to church because of the, the X, Y, and Z. And I think there's an assumption there that, Oh, well, they just, they're not interested in religious things or endeavors. Uh, it seems from listening to you, Brent, that maybe the opposite is true is like you would rather there be more formative religious moments to, to help guide and direct your life. Is that a fair, is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Um, and I, I would disagree um, in some ways with the people that say that millennials and the younger generations like Gen Z and stuff don't want to be more religious. I would say it's the exact opposite. I'd say they want to be more religious. Um, you know, one of the reasons people left the church was because it required nothing. So if it I, might, it might be a total, total polar opposite thing that actually many of the younger generations that have left have left because they don't think enough is required of them from their church communities. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would make that argument that um, what is the point of me going someplace that's no different than anywhere else I go? Um, you know, if we're going to say like, what is the point of going to church if it's just going to make me a good person when, you know, everywhere else does that compared to, um, you know, people are attracted to actually being called to be shaped and formed into a certain way. Um, Winfield Bevins in his book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, he talks a lot about that, that there's a reason that, you know, Roman Catholicism, the Anglican community, uh, the Anglican communion, um, Orthodoxy, um, and some of those other high liturgical churches, although like, you know, every church in some ways are declining they actually have a steady incline as well because people are, are desperate for this deep rootedness um 
you know, sociologically, we live in a time where we don't have deep roots anymore. Uh, we don't stay connected to our families. We don't stay connected to our hometowns. You know, I, rem- I remember growing up watching TV shows when everybody still knew their friends from high school. That's not the case anymore. You graduate high school, you move on. You, you may never see those people again. Um, I talked to maybe one, if not two people from high school. And so he makes the argument that there's this deep desire to be connected to something deeper than ourselves. Um, because otherwise we just continually get washed, you know, we just get blown by the wind back and forth and we're all over compared to those communities that go back 2000 years, you know, there's that deep rootedness. Um, so yeah, so my argument would be, yeah, the, the, the church really did an injustice by asking less of people rather than more of people, um, you know asking them to be more than themselves and not, not by themselves, but through the power of Christ and um, to, to not compromise. We've, we've so easily, the church has said, okay, we don't have to do this. Like, okay, that's fine to be Christian that way. Instead of being like, no, like there is a specific calling that Christians are called to, um, you know, and that, that gets me in, in, in a lot of trouble. Uh, Latia, I'm sure it gets you in a lot of trouble too, because you're calling Christians to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, know, a, not... there's a cultural Christianity, right? That's sort mm-hmm. of just the assumed standard of, I don't know, excellence. I don't know if it's really excellent, but you, you both are coming from these, sim- I mean, different angles, similar goals of, no, 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 it's not about cultural Christianity, culture wars, all this nonsense is about what did Jesus say we should be doing? And on the surface, it could look so different. Like, wait, Brent wants to be a, a monk and Zoom is just necessary. And Latia's like trying to create a diverse community on purpose because people don't know how to have civil conversations with those they disagree with. Both of them are kind of a, a reaction from, from my perspective against this cultural Christianity nonsense culture war thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I would also say uh, that Brent and I's community are different in this way. While I'm doing a pilot program, like what I envision long-term is that uh, a group of people would gather for six months and then choose each, each six months to then choose into it again, right? Or not. Uh, so that way, because I think sometimes people have gone to church and done the same thing for 15, 20, 35 years, and they just sit there because this is what we've always done. But when you make a intentional commitment, uh, each time that you do it, I think there's more like authenticity, more, more like buy-in in a sense to do it. So. Yeah, which is interesting because in some ways, you know, I'm, I'm asking the exact opposite. Like we're the way we're set up right now, and we'll see if this continues throughout the next couple of years, but to basically do like a postulancy period for six months to a year saying, get to know our community, see if you like it. Another big word, Brent, another big word. Postulancy, the beginning of a monastic career, basically when you just kind of interning, um, basically coming into the community try out the rule of life, see if you like what we're doing, see if you like how we're doing it, see if you agree with our goals. Um, and after that, you know, petitioning to, to become a, a novice or a, a newbie, 
um, and like fully taking on that role, getting to wear the habit. Um, so literally dressing differently than, than the world does. And then after doing that for so many years, taking solemn vows of saying, yes, I will commit myself to this group of people for the remainder of my life. Um, and to me, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I do think what you're saying, Latia, is, is right. You know, if, if there's that constant commitment, there is that buy-in. But I think there's also a blessing in, in just the ordinary, you know, just the ordinary faithfulness. And I think with my community, that that's what we're trying to call people to is, you know, be faithful, die, be forgotten. Um, you know, just this idea of by making a commitment to one another, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's just like marriage, you know, Annie and I made a commitment to each other and it's not every day that we're thinking, oh yeah, like I once again, recommit myself to you. That's just kind of always there that, you know, we are going to continue to grow in our marriage, even when it's doing nothing but watching, you know, eyes on beyond Netflix together or something as simple as that. And so for, for us, that's part of how we're looking at this is, Part of being faithful means being faithful to a particular group of people as well. Um, and so that we will continue to grow with one another, to, to build each other up. Um, one of the things that I really like about monasticism and like being in a monastery, if we could, um, you know, monks and nuns, they make a vow to be with one another for the remainder of their lives. So if one of them pisses you off, you're going to have to get over it somehow. <laughs> You know, if you don't like can't just unfriend them, them. can't unfriend them and block them on Facebook because you're going to spend the next 80 to 90 years with them. You're going to be buried beside them. Um, And so in some ways, that's what we're trying to do is instead of saying, when I get upset with you or when I don't like you anymore, I'm going to bounce out instead to say, you know, we will commit to continue to view one another as Christ and to learn how to embrace the Christ in one another, um, which I think is just so different from, from our society um, where it's so easy to cancel one another. You know, part of what we're doing is making that vow that we're, we're going to see each other through. Um, We're going to hold each other accountable and we're going to help each other be better through the power of Christ. One of the most interesting side effects to going through a pandemic and nonstop culture wars, racial injustice, uprisings, all that fun jazz is it focuses, it, it changes the focus for a moment to then have folks say, well, hold on. What, what is this all about? You start asking questions about things. Maybe you didn't ask questions about before, if you're just a, a regular layperson or even a pastor, I know, I think I know you too well enough to know you've always been asking some of these questions. So some of these things may have happened with or without COVID um, but the landscape for for Church Capital C, Church Catholic, might might be changing as far as how it's lived out or what it looks like from just a surface level as a result of some of these changes, particularly in the United States. So I'm intrigued uh, by both of your endeavors, and I would have some questions in closing to to wrap up our time together. Uh, to just ask what's next broad strokes, but particularly, do you see what you're doing as adding to what church might look like? Do you see what you're doing as this is how I plan to be the church? 
Um, do you see these things as replacing something, adding on parachurch? What does the, basically it's a big, big wide open question. And, and let's see, I'm going to ask you to answer first. What does it look like to faithfully be a part of the church in the future? And what does your current endeavor um, contribute to that, that landscape moving forward? Yeah, so I see this as being church. Like this is not a parachurch ministry or something on the side, but this is a way in which you can engage faithfully in the church together. Um, and then going forward, I hope to um, officially launch uh, Ubuntu community in the fall and then uh, to create more groups and to continue building community. Um, yeah. So the end goal is, is to continue this. I mean, that's the mission, that's the goal is to continue this as it is, uh, to continue to develop and in, in, in re, because you're, you're kind of the R&D arm of the church right now, right? Research and development, you're, you are research and development. You are the research and development end of the of the church yes. currently yes. so how do you see it affecting the traditional church gatherings how do you see it impacting the the overall landscape of of the churches that you still have some sort of connection to the denomination as a whole even yeah i mean i i still hope to have that connection um just as just as we are hopefully having connections with other churches within our denomination, right? That this church down the street should have connections with the other church down the street. So I hope to continue to have connections with a brick and mortar church, uh, just because we are colleagues together. But online church or whatever, whatever that, because you use brick and mortar, right? Because Amazon and in regular brick and mortar stores, kind of exist still right 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 next to each other you see that as potentially a change in the landscape moving forward yes what about you brent is this a i mean monasteries can be at actual i guess brick and mortar churches right and they can be part and parcel with one another but what do you see uh with the future of your endeavor how how it affects either just the broad strokes church landscape um but same question do you see it as church expressed uh what 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 are your thoughts on the future of the church in general with through the lens of what you're doing yeah um you know we're, we're not trying to replace the church that the way it is um really like part of our goal is to be an icon to the church to be an example to the church to show the church how to be the church um each of us have made the commitment to still stay involved within our local church um and and to minister to them in that way um and so really, I mean, for us, we're, we're, we're not a church. Um, we're not a parachurch. We're not, we're not anything like that. We're simply a, a group that says we, we want to show the church how to be the church. Um, for us and in particular, we're all Nazarenes. And so we're saying we, we want to show the church of the Nazarene how to be better, better Nazarenes. Um, and so I don't know exactly what that is other than being a servant to the church um, while also trying to be servants to the world and, and looking out for the hungry, the poor, the sick, those that have not received justice like they should. Um, and so I, I don't know if that answers your question as to what we are other than servants. 
um, is, is what we're trying to be and, and what it looks like for the church going forward. Um, you know, I think the church going forward is going to have to get more religious. Um, otherwise we're, I mean, pe- people are going to continue to bail. I mean, when, when the church is not asking any more of people than the world is, why keep coming? Um, you know, we're going to continue to show that, that there's value in sacrifice, that there is joy in, in saying it's not about me, um, that there's more to life than just what I want. Um, and so it's our hope that going forward, the church will learn will learn how to worship well um, because I think when we worship well, we then we love well, we love our neighbors better when we worship God better. Um, you know, the more we love God, the more we love our neighbors and the more we love our neighbors, the more we love God. Um, and so really, I think the church going forward, you know, and again, like even what I'm hearing from Latia, Latia, like her community is trying to be more religious, you know, even with the, the box that you have in order to, to the, the virtual spaces are still similar, you know, that, that is a religious action saying this candle matters, you know, this icon is, is depicting something and, and, and extending grace somehow. Um, these actions that we're doing, even, even, you know, naming your community Ubuntu, you know, I am because you are, that, that is a, a liturgical reality. What you do affects me and what I do affects you and that our actions between one another are creating who we are. Um, which is also just a beautiful Trinitarian idea of, um, you know, you're a community. And so, yeah, I, I guess for me, my hope for the church is that we would just really figure out who we are, what it means to be the church. Um, and again, I, I don't mean to crap on the church. I just know what I've seen and what I've seen. There are far too many churches that are merely corporations with Jesus as a mascot. And it's my desire that we change that to actually figuring out what it means for Jesus to be Lord rather than our mascot. Yeah. I just refer to it as country clubs, right? Like it's, there's mm-hmm. just some country clubs that are kind of social cultural gatherings, but there's not a whole lot of required, you know, you don't have to put a lot of skin in the game to be a part of it. You just kind of come sit there and it's good. Yeah. These, these conversations stir in me this frustration, but optimism as well that we have lost our imagination collectively. We've lost our imagination of what it looks like to just simply be the church. As I sit here listening to you both respond, I, I'm sure some of the listeners to this podcast will say, what? That's a thing? You can do that? That's allowed? Right? Like there's like going to be these immediate responses like, oh, I don't know if that's okay. Is that okay? Because for the last 50, 60, maybe 100 years, it's just kind of looked like this, this one specific little thing, right? It's been really narrow focus. It's been Sunday morning, 10 to 12, right? And then you go and try to beat the Baptists to the to the restaurants that you don't tip the waitresses in right (laughs) like all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know what i'm talking about um but uh all that all that nonsense you know 
I, in a terrible, weird, masochistic way, maybe I'm a little bit thankful for the forced shift that has happened. I know mm-hmm. the two of you probably would say you would have worked towards this regardless of the pandemic, but in some way there's this weird optimism because we are now forced to sort of evaluate and address. And I know plenty of pastors and churches are saying, no, we will never change anything. But as you both have said, to some degree, there was this period of, oh, we'll go back to quote unquote normal at some point. And then that normal just kept seeming like a, a pipe dream, right? And like, oh, we just need to probably accept that this is how it is and we're going to move forward. Uh, but but this imagination that is lost, I, I guess I want to say I'm thankful for both of you because you both, since the beginning of our mentorship together, have helped me have a broader imagination for what it looks like to participate in the church, despite the differences we all have from one another even, right? This, despite the things that we care desperately about. And I think there's beauty in that because this is this is very, uh, in real, real time, very much what I see Paul talking about with we all play different parts in the body of Christ. Like just because one says I'm not this doesn't mean I shouldn't be that and I should lock myself off or whatever. That there's a diversity within the body of Christ, the church, that should be celebrated. And my hope is that hearing and sharing these stories moving forward, it helps not just us, but our listeners and and maybe those that we live in space around capture maybe a broader imagination for what the church looks like going forward. So as we try to attempt to wrap up this podcast. I know we're pastors and we talk a lot. Give me your plugs. Is there somewhere they can go to, to learn about your things? Is this a thing that you want more people to hear about, learn about? Is there, is there possibly opportunity for listeners to join in or at least see what you're doing? Is there somewhere you can plug? Yeah. So I would say for the Ubuntu community, I'm currently having someone work on a website right now. So once that happens, uh, they can link there. Um, and then you can just, I put my email in the, the linky thingies that you do at the end, right? I'm not the typical millennial. Uh, <laughs> but what is a typical millennial, right? Isn't that the right, whole point? Right. And then, um, yeah, because I would be excited uh, for anyone who would be interested in journeying with us for the next group. We'll put that in the description if you're cool with it. And and, uh, we'll put that information there along with the past episodes you guys were on in in the first season. What about you, Brent? Give give us a plug. Yeah. um, So a couple different plugs. I would say if you are interested in what it looks like to be a Nazarene monastic, um, feel free to to go to my Facebook and, and shoot me a message. I'd love to talk more with you about it. There's um, there is a Nazarene monastics Facebook group that we have um, that we need to get better at. Um, we need to get better at our social media presence and our online presence, um, which might just speak into our monasticism. Um, <laughs> but also uh, Jeff and I, who Jeff is another member of our community. Uh, we just recently started a podcast called religious. Um, it is through the, whatever Josiah's network is called, the, <laughs> the Millennial, Millennial Pastors, Pastors Fellowship Network. The Millennial Pastors Podcasting Network. All right. Yeah, what he said. Um, we're basically, Jeff and I have just started talking about what this looks like, um, what's even possible, what we're dreaming about, where we stand in the history of what's come before us. And yeah, um, 
I would love to have more conversations with people. Um, if you know of anybody that that's interested, send them my way. Um, you know, we're more than happy to talk with people and pray with people and even just invite them to, to pray with us as we do our, our Vespers or evening prayers together. Um, just to, to see what that's like. Sounds good. I'll just put all the links that, that they give me in the description for any listeners interested in learning more. And once more information comes out, all of our social media will be open to both of you to, to put all the details on to, to share what is happening, what updates are going on for any of those that are interested. I'm going to ask you one last question. I'm going to do our little spiel uh, at the end, put a sponsorship in there. But while I'm, while I'm doing that, I want you to think about this. Uh, we like to end with hopefully some uplifting, hopeful thing. Um, and it can be about what you're doing, or it could be just something you've seen. I would love to know if it's something we haven't talked about, but simply put, as it relates to the church, um, what gives you hope going forward? So think about that. I'm going to come back and get your answers as we kind of do sponsorship and plug stuff. Uh, so here's a sponsorship. On top of that, I would like to give a shout out to the network. We already talked about it briefly, the Millennial Pastors Podcasting Network. We currently have five podcasts. We're working on a couple more, ranging from all sorts of subject matter, from what Brent talked about, being extra religious, to planting in the middle of a pandemic, a home church network, to being married to <laughs> being married to a pastor, uh, and also just covering lectionary in the scriptures, in the weekly rotations as well as this podcast, which focuses on the life of pastors and, and even talks about nuns and duns and why they have disengaged from faith communities. But with that being said, I would like to remind you to rate, review, subscribe, check out the social medias, let us know what you think about the podcast, share it, love it, hate it, give us feedback. Before we go, though, I want to hear what our guests would say gives them hope. I want to end on hope. Millennials get a bad rap. We just critique stuff. We complain about stuff. I don't think that means it's not valid. Some of our perspectives, uh, that's, that's really why we have these conversations. We want to talk about the things that bother us and what we're doing about it. But ending it on a, on a maybe slightly more optimistic note, what gives you guys hope? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. What gives me hope are um, people like Brent and Josiah and all those who are trying to do new expressions of church or a religious community, um, that the church is not dead, just reforming. It's always reforming. Thank you, Litia. What about you, Brent? Yeah, I mean, in, in a similar vein, Litia, I echo what you say. Um, you know, this, this won't be completely adequate, but I think in a number of ways, like, I think my community is trying to like show people how to love God better. And I think your community is trying to show people how to love our neighbors better. Um, not saying that we're not also both doing the opposite as well, but it gives me a lot of hope that we can, that we can come together to talk about how to love God and love neighbor and how to better seek justice for our neighbor and give glory to God. Um, so that, that gives me hope. And, uh, you know, Latia and I are both in the doctorate of ministry program at NTS and they don't pay me to say this, but I've just been really, really happy in that program. Um, and it's given me a lot of hope, um, especially with some of the, some of the people in my cohort and the projects they're working on and the hopes and dreams that they have for the church. I just, 
like like Latia said, I'm the the church is reforming. The church is moving forward. The church is becoming better, um, and so I'm really excited for those people that are that are adding to the church and that are that are creating avenues for more faithful expressions in people today. Awesome. One day, maybe I'll go back to NTS. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a part of the cool club because one soon to be Dr. Reverend Latia and soon to be Dr. Reverend Brent, then I can have some fun extra uh, titles to my, no, I'm just we'll see. <laughs> one day, one day, maybe the joke will die and I will know big words. <laughs> Seriously. Shifting from silly, sassy. Uh, thank you guys so much for the time. Thank you so much for sharing, uh, for, for just lending to the conversation. That's truly why I continue to do this podcast is I just, I treasure, cherish, whatever you want to call it. I love hearing the stories of what, what some of, the, some of our peers and some of our friends are just doing to try to continue to remain faithful, even though they don't all look the same. So Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. I, I really appreciated the conversation. Thanks, Josiah. Grace and peace, friends. With that being said, this has been the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I have been your host, Josiah. If you are interested in hearing about what young pastors, namely millennials or close to millennials are doing in ministry, if you want to hear from nuns and duns, if you want to hear what is happening in the church, then please join us next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>